3: Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Ray Connolly. Ray is a writer and journalist. He is the author of the Elvis biography, Being Elvis, A Lonely Life. Let's hear what he has to say about the life of Elvis Presley. Hi, Ray. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. So we didn't spend too much time on our episode talking about Elvis's early life. Could you tell us more about his early years, uh, even before he moved to Memphis?
4: Yeah, he was born in a place called Tupelo, Mississippi, and he was a, a very poor family. Extraordinary, poor, the only child, the twin was, was, uh, he uh, there was a chin, a twin born at the same time as Elvis called Jesse, and he died. He was so poor that they didn't even have running water in their house, no electricity. So he's born with oil lamps, so pretty poor and, um, difficult childhood because his father was went to jail when he was about two for several months, um, on a sort of some fraud charge. So his mum had a very hard time uh and, but he was very keen on music i mean as even a little boy he'd go to the local church and sing um along with the with the uh local choir uh and that's really it i mean he, he would i mean where they lived in triplo was a sort of mixed race there were black people there and the white people there and so it was it was living in proximity with each other um and that was Elvis as a little boy until the age of about 13. He went to Memphis. The family was so poor. As, as Elvis said, they were just dead broke. And it had to be better somewhere than in in Mississippi. So they went to Memphis, uh, which is a local big town. And um, things looked better from then onwards.
3: So once he's living in Memphis, how does the move to the big city influence uh, him as an artist?
4: As an artist, it meant that you know he could hear the blues on the radio all the time, which was a, a huge thing. Um, where he'd grown up, there would have been little radio stations in Triple O, but not very big. In Memphis, there were there were country western stations, there were blues stations, there were uh, pop you know middle of the road pop stations, and so to be able to Hear all that coming into him, and it had a huge effect on the way he saw himself, because the music he liked was blues. He liked Arthur, Big Boy Crudup. He liked, you know, all those sort of people. And he could sing them very well, which is unusual, because he could actually sing those blues songs extremely well. So people didn't know, if they didn't see him, whether he was white or black. He didn't mind, but he just loved the songs and loved the music. So that would have an effect on him. And then at the same time, he would go, he had his first girlfriend, who was about 15 or 16, and they would go to a church in Memphis, a black church, and where you had to, in those days, you had to sit outside or stand outside the church in a porch, if you weren't black, and watch and watch the singers inside. who were. And I went there myself one day just to find out what it was like. And I met the uh, guy called Reverend Vernon Brewster there, who was the preacher, and... Um, he said, and he showed me where Elvis would stand. He said he'd stand here, but he couldn't come in. And uh, he just liked listening to the to the gospel singers. And so, all these things was he didn't know it at the time, but they were shaping Elvis. You know, it, I mean, heaven lies around us in our infancy, and he didn't know it. he was being he was being fed all these things, which would actually eventually turn him into what he was.
5: When and
3: how does Elvis get his big break?
4: Well, he got his big break, basically. I mean, the, the day he left school, when or left school properly, he'd be about 17. And that weekend, he went down to a place called Sun Records in Memphis. Um, and he said, do you need any singers <laughs> or anything? But what he wanted to do, really, he made a record for his, his mum's birthday. That wasn't true. His mum's birthday was in january and this was july but still that's what he said and a secretary there took to him and recorded him because the boss was out recorded him and that was interesting and when the boss came back, she said you know this boy came in he called elvis probably his strange name um and he played he made this record it's called my happiness and um, he said yeah fine and she said well I, but the girl the secretary marian kaiska whom i met she Said, I'm going to keep him on file because you never know. Because there was something about him, I mean, he's very young and very spotty and you know, didn't look very attractive, but had a strange voice, a strange high tenor voice. And so she kept it. And then, a year and then, Elvis got a job driving, driving a pickup truck. Um, for a whole year, every time he was in the neighborhood, he'd call in and say, Have you got any jobs for any singers? <laughs> so and they'd say, No, not yet, get out, you know. Eventually, the boss said well, let's call him in. Let's just see. Let's try him out with a couple of people. So they tried him out with a bass player and a guitar player. And they tried all night. And he wasn't doing very well. And then suddenly um, Elvis began to sing, that's all right, Mama, which is an old blues song that he just loved. He's heard on the radio. And the boss said, hang on, start again. I like the way you're doing this. And that became, that was his first record that night. They recorded it straight off. They hadn't got in planning it but because he could do it and, and the musicians could do it. So it was great. So they played it on the local record station and they did a flip side for it. And, and all of a sudden, you know, people were saying, who is this boy with a voice? We don't know what color he is, who is he? And that made all the difference in the world because he was being sold on his voice alone. They didn't know what he looked like. Now, everyone in the world now knows what Elvis Presley looked like, but no one knew it then. But they liked the voice and he had a it's kind of yearning in his voice that was was extraordinary.
3: How quickly do things take off for him? What were some of the pivotal moments in his rise to fame?
4: Well the biggest I mean this great change straight away they began doing little uh, you know high school hops and things around Memphis and then Arkansas and down to Mississippi and then um, a guy called Colonel Tom Parker who was a, who was a Dutch illegal alien into the US with a new name heard him and thought, oh, this guy could be something else. So he he signed him up as a manager and he managed him. And the colonel knew nothing at all about music ever. He was useless at music, but he knew about getting people onto television. And he got Elvis onto TV, onto, you know, um, in New York. And Elvis went up there and suddenly is on national television um, on both CBS and NBC over and over again over a page of about three months. It, it was an awful lot. So immediately people were aware of him. By this time, he'd also moved to a, a, a Victor Records in Nashville and, he, and recorded Heartbreak Hotel. People didn't like it at the time. The, the, records, the record company said, this is awful. I mean, this, it sounds like some doomy, gloomy, awful thing. Elvis knew better. He said, no, no. I I think it's a hit. And, of course, it was a hit, and we've all known it ever since. And then straight away he was off, and then you have the sort of – but the colonel hadn't finished. His next thing was to get him to Hollywood because um, it was so good. By this time, the spots had gone, and he was dying – well, he dyed his hair slightly later, but he was still a good-looking guy. And he got him into his first film, Love Me Tender, and he was okay. He did well enough. And then the next year they did "Loving You," and he dyed his hair for that. And he had he made him with black hair. He always said, "My I had a um, my background in my my ancestors. One was American Indian, and I wanted to look like them." So he did. Um, and then he was off. And then he was unstoppable because it, it was everywhere in the world. RCA yeah, could sell him all around the world, and he was very easy to sell.
3: How um how does then the death of his mother impact him uh as a person and, and his career?
4: Well, in nineteen fifty-eight he got called out to go in the US Army, which he didn't want to go and he hated it. And while he was away, his mother died. Now he was um it, it was very, very close to his mom because when his dad had been in jail, they got ex- extraordinarily close and remained so dry. His life, and he could always listen to her. Suddenly, she's dead, and there's a big gap in his life completely. And then he has to go into go to Germany, where he was for eighteen months, and there was there was no one to turn to, no one to talk to. The colonel, being a, an illegal alien in the U.S., couldn't couldn't follow him. So they were on the phone a lot, but you know, so he was alone. And while he was alone in in uh, Germany, he met a young girl called Priscilla. Bolu, Bola, Bewley, I don't know how you pronounce it. um, I don't suppose she does either, but anyway, she did. And uh, he met her there, and um, that was, um, she was about 15 at the time. He did like young girls, um, probably because it was, he may have been nervous, you know. Um, He met girls in Hollywood, he met Natalie Wood, for instance, and she was 16. Seven, maybe maybe 17 by then yeah and much more experienced than Elvis was and he was nervous with these people he was always much he always felt happier with people from his own background yeah
3: what what was his courtship like with uh, Priscilla uh, what was their relationship like
4: well, I wasn't there, so I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what they did together. We need
3: to know, Ray. We need to know.
4: <laughs> and, uh, well, I wasn't there, but um, how can we phrase it? Um, he, they always said they didn't ever have full sex until they got married. Well, maybe that's true. I don't know. Um, yeah, you weren't there either, so we don't. No, never know. I was not. <laughs> but, but I would imagine a lot of heavy petting, and um, especially when she was in you know, 16, 17 in Germany, you know. But then she, when he went back to America, uh, she moved in with him, you know, and her parents allowed that, which is, you know, it, at the time it was bizarre that they would allow that, but they did, you know. And, um, yeah, so I don't know.
3: So who were the Memphis Mafia?
4: Memphis Mafia were all these old friends from Memphis, basically. Um, he never fitted in well with the people in Hollywood. He just didn't, um, and he always just had his own group. And as soon as filming was over, and he made thirty odd films, as soon as filming was over, he'd go back to his the house he rented. He never owned a house there. He went. Oh, he did later on, but early on, he rented a house, and it was surrounded by his old mates. His old, you know, um, people he'd known at school. A guy called Red West, and then he called Sonny West's cousin, um, and there were several of them and they stayed really some of them right until the very end. They were always there, but, you know, none of them were what you'd call highly intellectual. They were people who a job with him was the best they were going to get. Let's, let's, let's be honest. I mean, it really was. Um, and, you know, they were, they could go to Hollywood and live with him and, and, the trouble is, when you're surrounded by people like that, they are—they laugh when you want them to, when you want them to, and they're angry when you want them to. You know, they—it was kind of, you know, not healthy. But you know, most actors could go to Hollywood and they get to meet other actors, and directors, and producers, and screenwriters, and things. Elvis never did. I mean, the, the guy directing him—that was it. As soon as he was finished, he was out. Now, that may have been the colonel didn't want people to get too close to Elvis because it's impossible to explain how incredibly um, revolutionary he was. He was that big. You know, we know we know the Beatles were, were, were huge, but Elvis showed the way. And that's what you could become. And, uh, and of course, he still is that, that big. We, we still talk about him now. Yeah. We
3: well, at what point does Elvis start Using prescription drugs and uh, for what yeah. reason?
4: He was probably using amphetamines from the very early, early days. There was a thing called no dose that you, 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 if you're driving long distances, you could take that. But also, his mum was always putting on weight and she didn't like it. She wanted to be beautiful for her son because he was famous now. And so she would take these pills that would, that would help Slimmer. But they were kind of amphetamine. And I know this because my auntie took the same drugs and it kept her. I mean, she was hype all the time uh, until she found out what it was. And then you didn't you didn't take them anymore. Elvis, when he was eight, nineteen, twenty, he'd start taking these things. So from very early on, then he went into the army and they would give the young soldiers and when they were on night duty, just like that, just hand them out, which is not good. And most people would come back and take them and come back and forget about it, not Elvis. He got a taste for them. And, you know, I remember there I think, the Scotty Moore, Scotty Moore told me, who was his guitarist, Scotty Moore said he would drive you crazy because we'd, be, we'd do a gig and he'd be on thing, and then we'd come off and... He'd say, stop the car. Elvis would say, stop the car, I've got to get out. I've just got to go out and move around. Because he was, he was high on amphetamines. So, yeah. So he was doing them from, from a very early age. And then, you know, one thing would lead to another. He never did cocaine, I don't think. Well, maybe a little bit later on, but not much. But he, And he didn't do heroin. The drugs he got were nearly always through doctors. They were, But, you know, if you're Elvis, you'd always find a doctor who sign a... Uh, you know, a, a prescription for you. And they did, which to their shame, to their shame, I think. But that's what fame does.
3: Speaking of doctors, who was Dr. Nick?
4: Dr. Nick was, um, he lived in Memphis and he was, um, he had, I think, a good career early on. And they got, he was friendly with Elvis. And Nick, I think, I can't pronounce his name. It's a Greek name anyway. I'm not even sure he's still alive. Is he still alive? You know? I don't know. Anyway, um, he does bear some responsibility for what it happened to Elvis because he, he was always trying to get Elvis off the drugs, but at the same time, he was feeding him drugs. You know. But it wasn't only him. There were drugs. There were people in Las Vegas and in Hollywood who Elvis could call. And if Dr. Nick said, no, I'm not going to give you anymore," Elvis would find somebody else. Because when you're an addict, that's what he was you know, there's always somebody who will was, who was sign a prescription for you. So Dr. Nick, yeah, he was – was, but, you know, Dr. Nick, when Elvis died, he was one of the pallbearers at the funeral, so he was still highly thought of. I think later on we began to realize that maybe he wasn't such a good guy after all.
3: Wow. Now, you uh, wrote a book. It's titled Being yeah. Elvis, A Lonely Life. In your yeah. opinion, did Elvis have anyone that he could actually count on in his life?
4: When his mom died, when she died, you know, he, he really didn't. He, 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 um, the Memphis Mafia, they were like nodding, nodding donkeys in the, in the back of a car. You know, they'd laugh and all that sort of thing. And there was no one he could turn to and get, and get his sort of external advice. The colonel would tell him what to do. The colonel was an appalling an appalling manager later on. He was good early on, but not knowing anything about music or, or even Hollywood. He didn't know people in Hollywood either. He, he knew the big guys who owned the studios, but didn't know the directors and producers. And so there was no one there. Um, that's why I was, was, I think, so lonely, because there was no one. You know, when you're friendly with, with a big star, and I've known a few, um, you're friendly with them, but on their terms, you're not, a, you know. I was very friendly with John Lennon, but if I was ill in the middle of the night or whatever happened, I'd call somebody else. i never call John Lennon. You know, And that's the same with Elvis. He would never have anyone who would think about him just a, as a friend because he was just so huge, so enormous. So but there was no one. When his mum died, and I think he missed that all his life. He never, never quite got over it because she would give him straight advice. uh, His father, you know, I think he's now dead, of course, but his father um, just did what the colonel told him to do, and he wasn't really a a, a very. I mean, he he adored the colonel because the colonel had taken Elvis from being from poverty to great fame and riches, but you know, you. You need somebody outside who can say, listen, this is what you should be doing. I mean, if I'd been there, I'd have said, for God's sake, do the music. Think about the music. That's that's what you're good at, boy. You can do that. Don't worry about all the rest of it. But um, the colonel just said, think about the money. Think about the money. You can get more money. You can go to Las Vegas and make so much money. And I'd have been saying, for God's sake, don't go to Las Vegas because it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, they won't appreciate you the same.
3: So, toward the le- later years of Elvis's career, uh, what was his work schedule like? Do you do you feel like he was being pushed to work be- beyond what he could take in order to support uh, perhaps the lifestyles of those around him? What what was that like?
4: Well, he had to, you know, it wasn't just supporting himself and Grace and, Grace, and all that. He had all the people, all, the, all. I mean, they really hangers on some of them. You, you don't really need them, and the Colonel took sometimes up to a, a half of what he was earning. So, you know, he had all these people. to, And he took his, that very seriously. He, he, he gave to charity a lot. He, he was very good at that. But he did 30-odd films, 32, something like that, films in Hollywood. And then they didn't want him anymore. So he, he, he had to earn money. So he went to Las Vegas. They got him a good deal. Not a great deal, a good deal. And... Then he was on on a sort of circuit doing that. And um, and he he, he needed the money, basically. I mean, you can't believe that someone as famous as that would need money. But he did, because he didn't have it. He just hadn't got it. I think when he died in 1977, he left $10 million, which seems a lot of money. But actually, even then, it wasn't that much, because that included his home, his cars, and everything in it. So... You know, some of that famous, I mean, when John Lennon died two years late, three years later, he left $130 million, you know, and his career hadn't been so long. So that's the difference. Of course, these days they're to billions, I know, but then, so he wasn't that rich and he, he had to do, and in order to, in order to help all the people he was working with, or they were working for him, yeah, he had to keep going on tour because the records weren't selling in the quantities they had done. So he's going on tour. And, you know, it was by this time, he was obese. he, he was fat. he was, he was unhappy. There's no one to turn to. It, it's a terribly sad story. The yeah. Elvis story is so sad.
3: Very tragic. Uh, um, yeah. How, what could you walk us through what Elvis's last few days were like?
4: Yeah, he was. He was forty-two years old. His mum had died when she was forty-four, so he was forty-two. He was in. He was in Graceland, his home in, in Memphis, and oh yeah, and you know, these days, no. When Elvis bought Graceland, it was way outside the town, but of course the town has spread out during his time of fame, and Graceland is now on a very busy road. Even when Elvis died, he was on a very busy road with sort of gas stations and and things all around, which was kind of bizarre. That, but he loved it. That's that was his mum's home. So there, and he was there, and his daughter came to stay with him, and um, he was preparing for another tour. And he did lots of these little tours around America, and then he'd go back to recuperate, and. I think the day before he he got his hair washed and done and they had to sort of dye his hair again because the white bits show I, I've got a lot more than him, but he, he had some too. <laughs> so there there he goes. And um, he was not looking forward to the tour because just before that, a book had come out written by Red West and, and Sunny West and another guy telling uh, they'd been sacked. For some reason, they'd fallen out with... Elvis's father, who'd sacked them. If they'd hung on, I'm sure that they would have got taken back on because they'd been sacked before. But this time they said, we're going to show him, we're going to write a book about what it's really like to work for Elvis. And they told about the drug taking and the girls and all these things. And Elvis was really upset because he'd had this, this whiter-than-white image. And, of course, he wasn't. I mean, he'd been a bit of a lad, yeah. And um, so he was upset about that. And he had a young girlfriend who was about nineteen, and he was now like forty-two. Wow, and fat, and um, he wanted to, her to go on tour with him. He, he was going to start a tour in Portland, Maine, on the day after he died. You know, two days ahead, and she didn't want to go. Which you can understand. She was a young girl. Why would you want you want to go with him? But she'd see it, an elderly man. Yeah, at the time, and so, um, and then I think the night before. They they had a game sounded, they played a kind of deck tennis or something like that. What what are those games? Um, and he and he went to bed and he said to her. Uh, oh, she said. He said, "I'm going to go and read in the bathroom," and he did. She said, "Well, don't fall asleep." He said, "No, no, I won't fall." Asleep. Because he he couldn't sleep. He had to go to the dentist in the middle of the night for. Um a pill to make him sleep I mean he was endlessly talking to doctors and dentists and chemists and things about what he needed yeah and um so he went into the bathroom and he had a heart attack and he died of a heart attack I mean that's what you know the on the next day they said well he died of a heart attack Well, well he did but a heart attack brought on by I think there were 14 drugs found in his body when when they did the post mortem, you know, and not only that, that the when the people when the police went round found um, the bathroom, there was nothing in the bathroom because they'd be clean out by the staff. They say, "Oh, we've got, to, we've got to get rid of all this stuff," so they hid it in a hole in the back of Graceland in the garden. So they dug a hole, and put all the drugs in, and covered it up. But no one's going to no one's going to find out that Elvis was really heavily into drugs. Um, which wow. is kind of sad. Yeah. And so it, it just shows how, and his, his aunt, no, his grandma helped with that. She still lived with him. And, and his aunt was there. And, you know, so it's a really sad life.
3: Yeah. So finally, we always ask our guest experts this question. At the end of the day, if you had to blame a person or thing, it could be a concept that you... If you had to pick a person or thing that you think is to blame for the death of Elvis, who or what would that be?
4: I'd say it's the loneliness of extraordinary fame when there's no one to turn to. And on top of that, I'd say he was unlucky, lucky to get the colonel early on, but unlucky that the colonel didn't realize what he had. He never realised the real talent the guy had. So he had a talent for making money, but that's but that's not that's not satisfying to a, a real a real um, artist. It's not, you know. A, 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 when you've got a, all, all the money you need, to carry on like a going around in a circle, like a horse, what a bit like, like a donkey in a in a well, and that's what Elvis became, you know, when he was young, he was was absolutely revolutionary. I can't tell you how revolutionary he was. By the time he died in 1977, he was irrelevant. Musically, he was irrelevant. and But he'd have known that. He wasn't stupid. He'd known that. And he thought, but I've got to go out on tour again. He kept saying, people say, you shouldn't go on tour, you're not fit. He said, well, I've got to go, I need the money. Which is, I mean, can you believe it? You need the money when you're over, supposedly. It's insane. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's what I'd say. It, it, but it's also loneliness. It's extraordinary fame to extraordinary loneliness.
3: No. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Ray, for uh, joining us and sharing all of your knowledge about uh, Elvis and uh,
6: his very tragic story.
4: Well, thank you for having me.
5: Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn
2: more at ByHeart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. With us today, we have producer
3: Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. Hi. What a tragic and sad life Elvis had. It's so so...
0: fascinatingly tragic and, yeah,
7: makes it gloomy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, you think about these people who are extremely successful and they, you know, don't have any real people around them holding them accountable or the way Ray put it, which was really fascinating, was – he was like, you know, nobody wakes up in the middle of the night with a big problem and calls Elvis with it, oh, right? You know yeah. what I mean?
0: And your friends on it, their terms. I really like that stuck with me. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, you and don't I want just, to bother them. It's like, oh, he's famous. He's got so much going on. I can't
7: like vent to him or her, You've right? Exactly. Seen. But I think as human beings, we need to feel yeah. needed in that way. Like a relationship really needs to be. Um, Both ways. Both ways. Otherwise, you probably do feel this this significant sense of solitude and loneliness.
3: Well, a big part of feeling good about yourself and feeling validated as a human is feeling like you're needed, right?
7: Yeah, right. If you're doing it for yourself
0: all the time, I think it's easier for the cracks to start showing and for you to get in your head. You know, like if you don't have anything to think back on, like, oh, I I was able to be there for that person when they needed it. Like, if it's just you and it's people are only coming to you for what feels like monetary or like business things there's yeah. no heart right. in that or
7: yeah. or if they're your screaming fans at your shows right there's there's th- that will if if that's all you're surrounded by that will still fill you with emptiness because Throwing yeah that way. is that is yeah. a one very specific form yeah. <laughs> it makes of sense. validation
3: it, it yeah
7: but it's not the fulfilling, lasting kind of validation. No.
3: I mean, you want to think it is, but it's not. (laughs) Yeah. You want to be like, yeah, that's all I need.
7: (laughs) This is why I
0: think, and we talked about this on the episode, like the importance of a really good team. You know, the Colonel was bad. He was bad vibes. He was bad energy. He was not thinking about Mm -hmm. Elvis as the artist. It was all about the money. But like, if you're a mega famous person these days, I I would imagine that maybe you've learned from the lessons of some of the old stars, and you surround yourself with like not just like businessy type team people, but like people who are your confidants. Who like really you can I don't know right. like to Trust. have that moment of intimacy with if you need it. That's not like money or business related.
3: Yeah, I I can see how. The, the death of his mother really impacted him because it seems like she was the only one who he felt needed her, mm. right? Because they leaned on each other mm-hmm. uh, at a ve- since a, he was very young. So I can see how when that went away for him,
0: mm. yeah.
3: it could have left a, a real hole and, in his life. And as we have seen happen in the past, it, when you're dealing with, you know, when when someone is an addict or has such easy access, you know, is an addict and has easy access yeah. to all of this stuff, where are you going to turn to, right? How are you going to cope?
0: You know, something, uh, speaking of the mom, which we didn't discuss, but how interesting that she, I think Ray said that she wanted to stay pretty or beautiful for her uh-huh. now famous son. So she was the one taking these um, you know, amphetamines. Uh, amphetamines to stay thin, and that's yeah. how he got hooked. So it's like, in, in some way, shoot, there's room for her on the board. As terrible as that is, yeah, no, Aww. it's true.
3: <laughs> I mean, in a way, people didn't know. I think they just thought that it were, there were these miracle right. diet pills. Right. But one should always be weary of anything that's miracle and diet.
7: Mm, like, God, <laughs> I, yes. Right. That reminds me of Tammy. Was it Tammy Faye? Gwen Baker? Shamblin? No.
3: Gwen Shamblin. Oh,
7: right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True.
3: Who Who were you thinking? Tammy?
7: No, I was thinking Gwen Shamblin, oh, oh. but my w- mouth said Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah. Different.
3: <laughs> different. <laughs> she
7: probably took some of those pills, I think, didn't she?
3: I don't know. Okay, so we should discuss what we ended up sending to the alarmist jail. But I just want to say one thing before we do that. When Ray was describing how Elvis's move to Elvis uh, Elvis's move to Memphis really impacted him, and he said, "Well, now he had access to radio stations mm. that played <laughs> blues." In my mind, I was like, "Oh, of course," because they don't have. Alexa's, they don't have Apple music at the time. You were beholden to the local radio stations (laughs) of your area, hoping that the DJ just had good taste in music, or you shared a taste in music with this person, and they would play songs you would enjoy. That broke my brain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I also loved what he was talking about, how he was so selling on his voice alone. He's sold on his voice alone. And, you know, I feel like it's a very relatable thing. You hear artists nowadays and you're like, what does that, per-? like, wow, this voice is so unique. What do they look like? And it's easy just to go on the internet and Google an image of them. But how fascinating to be in a time where you're kind of like enamored by someone's voice or their artistry and not being able to just know what they look like and associate like a an image with the sound or the
7: art. I think that's really fascinating for his, I don't know, rise.
3: Right. Yeah. Right.
7: No, you know, the other thing is that he's a handsome guy. Yes. And And
3: once you do, I mean, I'm sure it must have been, because as as Ray was talking, uh, describing it, and and as we know, he had a very unique voice, which sounded like many of the singers, you know, the black singers Mm -hmm. of the time. But of course, this is during segregation. This is Mm. the 50s, Um, and that would you know we have to even look into it more but like where were these black artists allowed to perform
7: right right what
3: what, what how far could their music really expand um during these Racist times, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, right. But Elvis, but as you, as we all know, we love and enjoy this music. Elvis could bring that sound, but he was white. Right, right.
7: There, there's a, there's another version of this story where we, where race is more in the forefront. And that would be an interesting. I'd be interested to research and learn more about that.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, I just want to say when he was describing the secretary. Who took a liking to Elvis, which I think we've talked about. Imagine you're some secretary and in walks this like young, <laughs> handsome yeah. guy with a like angel voice. Of course, <laughs> you would have been like, I, you would have just been like sweating.
3: Yeah, you'd been like, like um, yeah. Hey, boss. Yeah, come, uh, <laughs> so I'd love to bring him back in. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think you're going to like him.
3: Um. So, Clayton, can you remind us who we ended up sending to the Alarmist Jail and who we gave the big slap to?
0: We gave the big slap to prescription drug abuse, and we threw Colonel Tom Parker in jail.
3: Interesting. And, and- he... Ray did mention him in mm-hmm. when he was blaming, but I, I I just love the way Ray put it, where he said the ext- It was the loneliness ext- of uh-huh. extraordinary fame. Yes, the loneliness Which, of extraordinary fame.
0: Right. And, and was and as you know what I think too. What's fascinating about this is Elvis was like the original king of rock, right? So he's like the first of its kind to be so ultra famous in this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing, you're not like re- looking back on someone. There's no lesson to learn from. Like you are, Right. you're the trailblazer. So how fascinating that you really can, you know, he, he must've been quite lonely because this was a whole new world for everyone.
3: And there was literally no JLo. He could call. Mm. I know. No, uh, no one. Who could mm-hmm. no really truly Spears No, Instagram Britney Spears. Account. I mean, he and Britney would have had so much to talk about.
0: Mm. Mm.
3: Um, Gaga, don't get me started.
0: Don't get me started. No so, what do you think? Do you do you uh, do you feel like it needs to be changed?
3: Um, I feel like it does need to be changed because I feel like within the loneliness, it, it's like well let me think about this because i do feel like colonel tom parker his manager contributed to that loneliness yeah and the prescription do- drugs also contributed to, to that loneliness mhm so what came first the loneliness or the drugs the loneliness or the manager i actually think it was the manager and the loneliness that came uh, and the drugs that came first mm mm-hmm. mhm mhm So
0: so maybe we keep Colonel Tom Parker uh for not, you know, correcting the situation. And we give the big slap
3: to loneliness, to the
0: loneliness of extraordinary fame.
3: Yeah, I think that's a good call. Okay, I'm going to call it loneliness of extraordinary fame. You're getting the big slap. Well, there you have it. Mm -hmm. Such a sad story. You want Mm -hmm. it, you know, you want it to be uplifting and, and fun, Mm -hmm. which I think that's what, uh, if you've watched the latest uh, Baz Luhrmann Elvis film, I think he was trying to do that as well, but it doesn't really encapsulate the true story of who Elvis was. And that's what I think I felt after while I was watching that film where I was like, I feel like this is a little one sided I'm not seeing the pain, Mm. sadly. Um, And I think in order to honor him, we have to acknowledge that there was a lot of sadness and tragedy and pain in his life.
7: I agree. I agree. And I think a modern audience also kind of demands that sort of level of truth, Mm -hmm. Um, or at least I hope they do. I mean, um, I certainly, as a a movie viewer, Mm -hmm. would like to feel like, the subject is being covered on all sides but but yeah not for me either that movie was not for me (laughs) (laughs) i haven't i haven't seen it well
3: i can't wait to hear what you
7: think (laughs) but this is not about the movie this is about elvis and we honor him with this uh with this podcast
3: well stay tuned because next week we're going to be discussing the bombing of pan-am flight 103
5: Here he Powered by ACAS Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com.
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all.